Thursday, November 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. And joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Pro and Motley Fool Options, Jeff Fisher. And from Motley Fool Inside Value, Uncle Joe Mager. Gentlemen, happy Thursday. You happy too, Thursday. Uh, <laughs> what's that? You too, Chris. <laughs> uh, We're interchangeable. <laughs> Just, no, we're off to a good start. We are off to a good start. We've got uh, we got some earnings from Tiffany and from Barnes and Noble, and we've got Starbucks trying to wrench even more money out of your pocket with a seven dollar cup of coffee. We'll get to that, but let's start with Tiffany. Shares of Tiffany down seven percent this morning on third quarter earnings. Uh, Jeff, profit fell thirty percent. They cut guidance for the full year. Um, is this just a bad quarter or worse? So sales worldwide still increased 4%, but what did hit results were higher material costs, which led to lower profit margins, lower consumer demand, especially in China, where a lot of companies are seeing soft demand, and then very tough year-over-year comparisons, Chris, where last year at this time, earnings at Tiffany were up 52%, including a 36% sales jump in China itself. So when, you, when you're comparing the growth a year ago that was so strong, your results this year are going to look tepid, as they do, tepid to weak. But overall, they still grew sales around the world. Now, shares are not inexpensive. They're right. not, they don't look outrageously priced, but they're not inexpensive. Uh, but I think in the long run, it, it is Tiffany. It, it's here to stay. They keep opening new stores and new markets, including South America. And I think, like you said, it's it's more a bump in the road than a than a sea change. Joe, what do you think of this? Because when I hear higher material costs, and we've talked about pricing power before, it seems to me that Tiffany would be a company that has that pricing power. It's a luxury brand. I would think that higher material costs would simply be something that they could just pass on. Yeah, well, very few companies, especially retailers, can pass on a full-on price increase that they get to customers. And you're right that because of the nature of their clientele, and their branding that they probably can pass through a lot of that. But, you know, there are limits to how much you can jack up the price of a diamond set. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. That's, that's a fair point. Um, Jeff, there was a guy on uh, CNBC earlier this week talking about Tiffany and other luxury brands, uh, Fossil, Coach, and he was making the case that And let's be clear, these are stocks that have basically had a, a relatively good run over the last few years, particularly when you factor in the recession that we've had here in, or, or, or I should say, the economic stumble that we've had in the U.S. over the last few years. But he's basically making the case that, look, you should short these stocks. And the, part of his case was they've got inventory problems. Is this really the kind of thing that is just across the board? I mean, I could see that happening with individual companies. But to, it, it struck me as an odd statement to just say all of these luxury brands are all having exactly the same problem. Right. And, and the risk with shorting a, a strong brand like Coach or Tiffany is if they do have some excess inventory, they can move it. And they may have a tough few quarters uh, by discounting prices, which they, they want to be careful to do that because they could ding their brand image, of course. But it's, it's still a Coach or a Tiffany, and yeah. it's going to rebound there. I'd much rather short a week, uh, a.k.a dying company, a failing company, than something that has such a strong worldwide presence. When you look at the stock, what do you think of the valuation, Joe? I mean, we, we talked, it's, you know, it's had a good run, but it's on sale today. Is this a fairly valued stock? I think it's interesting, but not something I would dive into. I'd love mm-hmm. to own this business, put it at a price where it just got absolutely shellacked. I don't <laughs> think we're in shellacking territory. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do have to add now, Chris, at this opportunity that I lost my wedding band about two weeks ago, 
It's platinum. Okay. If anyone finds a platinum <laughs> wedding band, it's mine, and okay. please send it in. You lost your wedding band. I was raking leaves and playing in the leaves with our seven-year-old son, throwing leaves at each other, okay. and it flew off my hand. So I've been through those leaves Does your wife multiple listen to the times. Show? I was going to say. I, she does know, and yes, oh, she's, okay. she's been supportive, actually. I was just going to say, how did that conversation go? I don't want to get overly personal, but I am curious, because I, I, a friend of mine lost his wedding band on his honeymoon, and it took him a couple of days of just hiding his hand from his new bride before he actually shared that information with her. I don't I'm know how I'm picturing it that, and it's hilarious. <laughs> it's like, I, how, but how how soon after the I, fact? I, I had share? so flipped out, and I was you know rooting through the leaves out in the yard that, that she knew right away. Okay, and you know it was ten years. It's been ten years, so. All right, radio at fool.com. That's our email address. If you find Jeff's wedding band, please email <laughs> us, radio at fool.com. Uh, let's move over to Barnes & Noble. Uh, and Joe Mager, I'll go good news, bad news on you. The good news for Barnes & Noble, uh, they actually reported a profit for the second quarter. Uh, they had growth in their Nook media unit. Here's the bad news. Their main business, which is the bookstore business, is still declining, and not surprisingly, uh, shares down more than 10% this morning. What do you think? Yeah, there are a lot of moving parts to Barnes & Noble, but this quarter, I think people got a little too excited last quarter when they beat on same-store sales. Uh, a lot of that was Fifty Shades of Grey driven, <laughs> and apparently everyone went ahead and bought all the copies they needed because same-store sales dipped back, and they were pretty low, low single digits this quarter. And how many copies of Sh- Fifty Shades of Grey do you need? One really? for each room, right? Uh, <laughs> and a collector's set, <laughs> um, bound in leather. Uh <laughs> with uh, with the Nook device sales, <laughs> they were roughly double what they were. Also bound in leather. <laughs> over the holiday weekend, which is comparable to what Amazon said they did. No no percentages there. But the really kind of spooky stuff was the deceleration in book sales, digital media sales, so yep. basically ebooks, And combine that with same-store sales slip in, and that's you know, it's disconcerting. To their credit, you know, the new Nooks they've rolled out came out after the quarter ended. So mm-hmm. I think Q4 will be a lot more reflective of how the business is doing than this past one of calendar Q4 anyway. But, you know, it's still a business that's struggling to make a transition. And it's easy to get excited about the Nook, but it's only about the Nook unit is only about 8% of revenue overall. Wow. So you shouldn't go whole hog, you know, into Barnes & Noble on the thesis that the Nook is going to bail you out. You know, that said, it's kind of complicated because Microsoft, you know, paid a couple hundred million dollars, <clears throat> couple hundred million dollars to own a seventeen percent stake in the Nook. So, depending on how you want to look at the valuation, it's a business where you could very easily say, "Look, you know, the ninety percent of the business is in secular decline. The other ten percent of the business is heads up against Apple and Amazon. Good luck with that." Or you could say, "Well, there's a special situation here where they're going to be able to spin off the Nook unit and unlock some value." And I can see cases to both, but it's not a stock that I feel comfortable owning just because of the nature of the core business sinking. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, shares look inexpensive on EBITDA results, but one risk, as Joe touched on, is that the expectations for the Nook are quite high now, partly because of the Microsoft investment. But Microsoft, as we know, is notoriously a poor investor, and I think one reason for that is they're off. They're frequently late to the game, and then they end up having to invest with a. a third place player and frequently especially in tech the third or fourth place player is not going to all of a sudden jump to the lead and and do great things so they see many of their investments just flame out over time and that's a possibility with the nook up against amazon and samsung and apple it's also a little bit of a double-edged sword when you look at the nook and the 
promotional partnerships they have with like Walmart and Target and and retailers like that because on the one hand it expands their ability to get the nook into the hands of customers and we've talked before about Amazon and the Kindle and the whole ecosystem and and that sort of thing so that's a positive on the other hand they're often cutting deals so those are probably lower margins that they're getting through those partnerships um, Joe, we were talking earlier. I was stunned when I was doing a little research on Barnes & Noble to find out that Books A Million is still alive. Uh, the ones in this area of the country are, are basically gone. So I There just, was one right by the old Full HQ. There was, yeah. It's now a CVS. Um, but it, Barnes & Noble, or I should say uh, Books A Million is still alive. It's still a public company. And over the last year, its shares have actually beaten Barnes & Noble. Now, it's a... It's basically a penny stock because it's, a, I think, about a 40 or $50 million company. But uh, to get back to Barnes & Noble, how attractive is this situation? Is it, it seems like it's entering dirty value territory, but it also seems like it's, it's still not cheap enough. Yeah, we've blown way past dirty value territory. <laughs> We're like filthy plaid dirty value. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't really get on board with it right now. I'd like to see how the next quarter comes out. And I realize that's a bit of a cop-out, but I, I just don't like investing in a business where I know that the core franchise is under serious attack. And I don't think they're going to make they're going to bridge the gap anywhere near as well as Amazon is doing with books. And Amazon's business is much more diverse. They're growing much faster. So, you know, I could totally see the contrarian thesis of the Nook playing out, but it's going to involve, you know, a spinoff or a takeout. It's not going to be, um, you know, a miraculous recovery of the retail operation. I have to say, I can't be the only one. There must be many of us around the country who really want to see the bookstores survive. Barnes & Noble thrive, actually. I love going there. I love flipping through books. I always, and then buying them on Amazon. I always try to buy one or two there, Joe, for that very You're reason, to, to support them. Uh, but if enough people feel that way, these bookstores, as the last national chain that's high quality, in my opinion, they, they could do all right with their core business. That said, I know we're looking at an avalanche of ebook sales. And I think most kids I talk to these days, it's all electronic. So even I, a book lover with books all over my house, can now see a day where it's going to be e-books. And that's, I'm kind of shocked how quickly my mind has, has gone that route, that yeah. direction. Well, we're moving right now, and we're in the process of, you know, downsizing, deciding where we're going to keep You and your wife are up. moving. Yes. And we are looking at books, for example, and it's a question of, well, this book is really heavy. Like, are we going to lug this around? I got tons of books locked up in, you know, my Kindle app. And as silly as that might sound, it's just kind of a stark reminder of the value of ebooks in terms of practicality in everyday life. That's true. Starbucks is offering uh, a new coffee from Costa Rica. And for just $7, you can get 16 ounces of this coffee. Uh, it is available only in the Pacific Northwest and they're not, on a plane. they're not going to be rolling it out nationally. <laughs> I'll be honest, my first reaction when I saw this story, even though I love Starbucks, I go there every day and I'm a happy shareholder. I thought, come on, you got to be kidding me. And yet, when we were talking earlier, Jeff. My first reaction was the opposite. And I'm usually a pretty frugal guy. I drove a 1991 car up until a few weeks ago when it broke down. <laughs> but uh, I saw that this morning on the news or on my iPad and I thought, I want to try that. Uh, one, I love Costa Rica. I lived on a coffee plantation there uh, five years ago. and uh, But two, I just thought, oh, that it has hints of pineapple, they say, and some other flavor. You spend 5 6 $7 for a 
mug of beer. Why not try a co- this coffee experience just once? Oh, I think we all can relate to the experience of living on a coffee plantation in Costa Rica. <laughs> in Costa Rica, yeah. We've all been there. It's, I, and right now is harvest time, harvest season starting right now, so the fields fill with, for the most part, people from other countries. Guatemala, Nicaragua, the people from those countries the come The Fisher down. family. Yes, my get my wife out there. Get out there and pick some coffee. <laughs> but anyway, $7 for a one-time experience, it's like a glass of wine, right? Yeah, I agree. I mean, think about it. All right, you're a bourbon guy. So I am. You go to a bar occasionally, you know, you drink your Maker's Mark, your Buffalo Trace, and you're very happy with that. Sure. But sometimes you're like, I'll have the Pappy Van Winkle today. <laughs> I had a good day at work. <laughs> well, I did I, I did think, once I got over my initial uh, gut instinct to mock this whole thing, I did immediately think in terms of a company like Diageo and how you look at Diageo and their portfolio of brands and they've got Bullet Bourbon, which is a perfect, perfectly decent, basic bourbon. But they also have Johnny Walker Whiskey. And Johnny Walker Blue, you're going to pay $200 for a bottle of that. And there are people who are more than willing to do that. And if you're just at a bar and you're getting a glass and that kind of thing. And this actually gets back to the whole thing of pricing power we were talking about earlier. And so I, I see why they're doing this and particularly the fact that they're keeping it in just a very finite area. They're not rolling this out nationwide. And so, you know what? If they can do that and they can make it work, then great. It bumps up the profit margins for those stores just a tiny little bit. A tiny bit. And I think even more importantly, it reminds everyone that Starbucks is more than just it's not just about mass-produced coffee. It's about something special and an experience. Yeah. At the same time, though, they're kind of trying to play it a little bit both ways. You know, with Pike Place, which rolled out, which is a little more Dunkin' Donuts style. Well, that was the other thing I was thinking. Can anyone else pull this off? Can anyone? Like, if Dunkin' Donuts tried to pull off a $7 high-end, even if it was the exact... <laughs> high-end donut. Well, no, not, not a high-end donut. <laughs> but if Dunkin' Donuts came out and said, listen, we've got this amazing new coffee. Here's the backstory. It's picked in Costa Rica by Jeff, Jeff's family. Jeff's family. <laughs> and we think it's going to be this amazing experience. I don't think it would ever fly. I don't think so. And that's no. the beauty of Starbucks. They own the high-end brand image in coffee. McDonald's, no. Duncan, no. <laughs> well, I, if I was Duncan or McDonald's, I'd be pretty thrilled that they're rolling out a $7 coffee because it just highlights the value prop of, of their coffees and it gives them a little more permission to try higher end pricing too yeah and at the same time mock starbucks for high prices before we wrap up uh just as yesterday i should mention since you're in the room jeff uh motley fool options whiz.com the option service that you run is opening next week and this is something that only happens once or twice a year so people can go uh to a free microsite that we've set up motley fool options whiz and whiz is with an h w h i z dot com the service i believe reopens on december 4th but if people go to MotleyFoolOptionsWiz.com, what do they find? That's right. You'll get uh, quite a few guides there on how to use options to generate income or invest for greater returns with less risk, make money in flat markets. So at OptionsWiz, which is a free site, you'll get all these strategy guides and whatnot and a live trade recommendation we issued this week that you could follow or make if you wanted to as well. And uh, that's all a precursor to Motley Fool Options, the service proper, opening on Tuesday, December 4th to new members for, uh, I think, just the second time this year and the last time for quite a while. So if you are interested in options, it's a great time to give Motley Fool Options a try. It's a it's a great service. All right. That's MotleyFoolOptionsWiz.com. And again, email us radio at fool.com, particularly if you have found Jeff's wedding band. Thank you. It's platinum. So <laughs> when you see it, you'll know it. 
Jeff Fisher, Joe Maker. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Yeah, Chris, I was going to go straight to Starbucks today and buy that. That was my thought. I'm yeah. like, so well, I'm going to treat gonna, myself. You're going to have to go straight to National Airport and get on the plane <laughs> and fly to Seattle because that's where they're selling it. Uh, Seattle, maybe. Portland, Oregon, and there's one shop in Idaho. You know a one-pound bag is $40? It's $40. Can you get it online? No, no, no. It's not a one-pound bag. It's an eight-ounce bag. Oh, my gosh. How uh, many eight-ounce bags of that is a new wedding ring? Ooh. Well, the next one ring I'm getting is a couple hundred bucks max. <laughs> <laughs>